What's up, weirdos? We're back. Erin, did you know that we have some international listeners now? I saw that. Yeah. So if you are joining us from Mexico, Canada, anywhere in Europe, welcome. Yes, we're excited to have you. Yeah. So in episode two of the Mysteriously Eclectic podcast, we talked about the woods and we both expressed how much we enjoy taking time outdoors, camping. I was trying to think of outdoor activities, but most of them involve like sitting outdoors and like my mouth wanted to say hiking and my mind was like, who are you? (laughs) But anyhow, I do love being in the woods. But there is something scary about being cut off from other people. I think we associate being safe, like in numbers. But most of us, I'd say there is a sweet spot. Too many people is certainly a little daunting too, right? Yeah. So let's imagine ourselves here for a second. We're eight years old. We're with our families on a camping trip in Arkansas. You're part of a family of five. So there's mom, dad, you have two brothers. You're all enjoying the wilderness and you're about to go for a swim when suddenly you look around and you're alone. The sound of your brother's playing has been replaced by the chirps of birds. The chatter of your parents is now the deafening sound of trees swaying in the breeze. Sounds that once were calming now are terrifying because they remind you that you're completely and utterly alone. This is the situation little Catherine Van Ast from Pennsylvania found herself in back in 1946 in Devil's Den State Park. If this place rings a bell, it should. We talked about it in episode two. I was going to say. Yeah. So this is in, this is in Arkansas. So they were vacationing in Arkansas. So the search kicks into high gear for Catherine. There are not a ton of details, but rest is sure she was found. A week later, a volunteer was searching a cave. At this point, little hope was left for finding the little girl alive. At this location, it was well out of what they felt was possible for the little girl to travel. But nevertheless, the volunteer was calling out her name and out pops Catherine. She was dressed in her swimsuit. She emerges from the cave declaring, I am here. She was seven air miles and 600 feet in elevation from the campsite where she disappeared. To get there, the volunteer needed to zigzag up 20 miles of rough terrain. Oh my gosh. So yeah, she didn't have any shoes. She was in a swimsuit. And regardless, this place that she had, this was a place that had already been searched, but she was fine. She hadn't lost any weight. She was not dehydrated. There wasn't any potable. I don't really know what that means, but there wasn't any water in the area. Her mom and dad described her as eerily calm and utterly serene. So mull that over while we listen to the intro music, folks, because today we're talking about Missing 411. The missing 411 phenomenon is one of my favorite mysterious topics. 
It blends a little weird, a little true crime. I just find it so utterly fascinating, but it's also incredibly sad. So we're going to try to make sure we give these families the dignity that their missing person deserves when we talk about these cases. As we always mention when we talk about true crime on the podcast, we do true crime with a purpose. And I think the takeaway here is that something weird is happening. So whether you walk away from this with some curiosity about one of these cases or about the phenomenon in general, all of these families are waiting for closure in some way, whether it be finding their missing loved one or finding out what happened to cause the demise of their missing loved one. Either way, there's still a mystery at play and there's still some open wounds, I guess, if you if you will. So let's keep the memory and the wonder alive to keep pushing for some answers and keep talking about the case in hopes that one day it'll get solved. So that's just my little my little disclaimer here. You know, I just don't I never want to like capitalize off of someone's misfortune, sure. you know, with a good story. Okay, so let's get into it. Missing 411 is all about people who have gone missing, as the name implies. Mm -hmm. Some are later found either alive or deceased, but all the characteristics share some common characteristics. This whole thread was first pulled, if you will, by David Politis. He was a retired police officer. As he describes in an interview I was listening to on the Mysterious Universe podcast, I will link to it in the show notes, by the way. It might be behind a paywall. I don't, I didn't check this particular episode. I don't recall, but nevertheless, I will link to it. But it, he basically describes how he got into this whole thing. Basically, he was doing some research at a national park on something else when he noticed that there were some like park rangers in uniform just kind of like lingering around him. And later on at his campsite, he was visited by some plainclothes rangers who just basically said, you know, something weird is happening. And this one particular ranger had worked at a few different national parks that had several missing person cases at different locations, and they just seemed unusual. He noticed that for the first seven to 10 days, there would be a lot of press coverage and lots of searches. So there'd be a lot of volunteers, a lot of you know, grid searches, but then everything would just kind of stop. The locations in which the people went missing would seem kind of weird. The fact that they weren't found would seem kind of weird, which people usually are. And I mean, I can vouch for that. My husband used to be a police officer in an area that covered sort of a remote area that had some state forest in Wisconsin. And they would have missing people all the time. And he said, usually they were just kind of you know, someone would wander off and you'd find them before yeah. it even became a big deal. They'd almost always be found. So even the fact that these people weren't being found was kind of in itself not incredibly normal. So the ranger reached out to others and they noticed the same thing across the United States. They tried to look into it and they noticed that they would start to get shut down when they looked into it, when they started to dig. So David Politis, remember he's a retired police officer. I think he was an investigator, by the way. So not just like, you know, doing like the street beat. He reached out to some friends on the police force and just kind of asked, you know, do you think we have something? Does this seem as strange to you as it seems to me? And they agree. They're like, yeah, I think that there's something weird here. So that's kind of how all this started. So 
the main hallmarks of a missing 411 case are as follows. And there's some lesser ones here, but these are like the biggies. Canines. Canines seem to lose the scent or lose interest in the case. So typically, canines are like super enthusiastic about oh, searching. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they're like all over this. And in a lot of these cases, they'll just like lay down and they won't do anything. And or they'll just lose the scent altogether. And I guess in about 95 to 99% of the cases, and that statistic is according to David in an interview, mm-hmm. they'll just exhibit that strange behavior and just kind of lose interest. I didn't realize that in the in the cases that I looked mm-hmm. up, there weren't like dogs involved or they didn't talk about it. Yeah. But that's really that is bizarre because I've seen videos of dogs on their searches and they go insane. They're running around so excited. Like they want to find something. These dogs like live for this. Like that is what they want to do. And so for them to just like lay down and be disinterested, it's strange behavior. And I should mention too, for a case to fall into what David Politis feels is a missing 411 case. It has to meet certain criteria. So he approaches this in a very methodical way. He approaches it as it's not a missing 411 case until it is, if that makes sense. Yeah. So he'll look at it as like, okay, it has to check a certain number of these boxes. It may not have to check all of them, but it has to check some of them Mm -hmm. before it even fits into this category. So a case has to be weird before Mm -hmm. it even falls into this. We mentioned the dogs. That's a big one. Boulder fields are usually involved in some way. So this is kind of hard to explain. Some of you right away might be like, yeah, I know what a boulder field is. And you're probably going to be screaming at me in the next couple seconds to shut up. But for (laughs) us out here in the Midwest, where we live, there are not boulder fields. We don't have boulders. (laughs) We have fields. (laughs) We have rocks. Rocks that we often have to pick from fields. So shout out to all of you out there who have had to pick rocks as kids. I know my husband sure did. I didn't pick rocks. I picked thistle, but that's a story (laughs) for another time. But anyway, we certainly do not have boulder fields, but think of like super rugged terrain where you have like a, like a cliff face at a higher altitude where these giant pieces of it have given way and they've rolled from a higher altitude and have kind of accumulated in an area that is maybe a little bit more flat. And I'm not saying like flat level, but just not as sheer as the area above it. So you've got this area with like giant boulders. So I don't know, is that like a fair description? Yeah. (laughs) So I'm not saying it's flat, maybe just slightly less steep as above it. It's not sheer, but there's these giant boulders, giant rocks. So super rugged. So those areas are oddly enough in a lot of these cases. Hmm. And you'll notice that in some of these stories that I have. Um, Many of the people have been found either alive or dead without shoes or clothing or both. So I don't know if you found that in yours, but a lot of people are missing articles of clothing, missing shoes. I read about that. It's, yep, we'll get to it. It's really interesting. It's weird. Yeah. If they're found alive, they are generally unable to tell you what has happened. Either they don't remember or they lack the ability. So like Catherine in the story we just shared, 
it wasn't like she couldn't tell you. She just didn't know or didn't, you know, Mm. didn't remember. She never said what happened. She didn't know. So another thing that pops up sometimes is people that are nonverbal autistic spectrum or verbally challenged autistic spectrum or an individual suffering from dementia, which I mean, the argument could easily be made that there's a far easier chance that they would wander off perhaps, but you know, make of that what you will. So yet another, another fun look for it and see if you find it in the background (laughs) of this recording is we are at Erin's house today and her little, her little puppy friend Daphne is in the background today and she might pop up and say hi in our (laughs) videos today, singing the song of her people. Yes. So another key factor in these is that the person will disappear suddenly and from a group of people. So not like someone is out hiking alone. And certainly that might happen. Don't do that. Just in general, don't, don't yeah, hike don't alone. Go hi- <laughs> don't go hiking alone. But they may be with like a group of people and just step off the path to like pee or something and then just not come back. So that's another key factor in this is that the people just kind of somehow find themselves just separated from the group momentarily and then they just never come back it's also common for there to be like a sudden snowstorm a sudden weather event that suddenly hinders the search efforts um a lot of times it'll be described as like a freak weather event that's also super common when a body's found it'll be found impossibly far away or in places that were just searched um or searched many times Sometimes the body or articles of clothing will seem like they were just placed there in a way that doesn't really seem to make sense. Um, Oftentimes in a location that was just searched or in just in generally a weird location. I remember reading one story where the skull of a missing victim was found on a fence post. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So like this guy had been missing for a long time. People had been looking for him forever And the fence post where the skull was found was on someone's property, like their home. And it was clearly within vision of civilization. And it was someone who was lost. So obviously, this doesn't make any sense. The person who owned the property, they weren't suspects or anything. So it doesn't make any sense. Like the person, if they were lost, they clearly would have been able to get to civilization from where the skull was found. So what someone was just out there and they found a skull and they just like set it on a fence post and then went about their life. I mean, I can see, and I have, I have a little bit more, I have a story to this, but if you found a skull, like maybe someone was like afraid, like, Oh, I don't want to be caught with this. Maybe my mom and I actually found. Oh my gosh. I forgot about that. (laughs) So really close to Lake Michigan, which is a huge, if you're not from here, it's a huge lake. Like sometimes people who are not from this area okay, okay. are like, <laughs> I'll give you that. You know what I mean? Like if you're not from the state or the states around us, or if you're from another country, sometimes from we'll another take, country. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Sometimes you'll take people there and they'll be like, Oh, is this the ocean? No, it is not the ocean. It's like an ocean though. I yeah. mean, it's, it's like a inland sea, if you will. Yeah. So my, um, we were walking on the beach and it was when it was just starting to get really nice out. So there weren't a lot of people there. And I'm like, this looks like 
a human bone. It looked like a tailbone. My mom was like, no, it's not a tailbone. It's got to be from a fish. So I'm looking it up and I'm like, no, this is, this is, I think it's human. And she ended up picking it up and she's like, well, let's bring it over to a little table. And I'm like, oh, don't touch it in case it is human. And then we confirmed, in fact, it was. So she put it in a brown bag. We marked off what parking lot that we were at Mm -hmm. and we drove it to the police station and she like rang the little bell and she's like i have a human bone (laughs) in in a bag and um the guy's like okay we'll be right out and the officer came out he's like okay let's take a look at this and you could tell he was like yeah yeah whatever and he opened up and he goes oh my (laughs) looks like you do have a human bone here (laughs) so um they took it and they're gonna look into it but you could tell it had been like it must have been in the water for a while yeah but still like that's yeah that's crazy yeah mm-hmm. and wow. i never heard anything else i kind of wanted to call back but i didn't want them to be like why are you so interested in it yeah you know exactly. what I mean? no i totally get that i totally get that so. yeah that's a good point i hadn't thought of that before but you know someone maybe you have a record or something and you just don't you see it and you're like nope don't want any part of this yeah so i that's a good point that's a really good point so another another criteria here is clothing is usually found untattered not showing the same amount of aging that would be expected given the amount of time that has passed since the time of disappearance and the elements that it would have been in so Usually the clothing or the body parts will be somewhere obvious. Again, like that skull that we just talked about. Finally, in general, there's just a high amount of high strangeness surrounding all this. So it's just weird. I don't know how else to describe it. That is something that is just hard to convey in the books, but you can really pick it up when you listen to the interviews with David. The choices that people make, the choices that the people around them make, they just don't make sense. Um, It all seems to be like there's just a lot of weird that kind of follows all of it. I just don't know how else to convey it or describe it. So So I'm going to quick cover a case here because I feel like it's a good example of pretty much everything we just discussed. Maybe not all of them, but most of the things. So this is the Jared Atadero case. I have a little extra information from David Politis himself, not that I was talking to him, but I listened to an interview where he added a couple things that weren't in some of the source material that I read. So Jared was three. He went missing in the Comanche Peak wilderness of Northern Colorado. And he was actually one of three boys to disappear in a 138 square mile triangle. His remains were actually found. So sadly he was deceased. They were found four years later, but 550 feet above the trail on which he was last seen. So now remember, he was three. Oh my God. So little kid. So Jared was with a Christian group and I should mention he was not with his dad. He was with his sister and then other adults. They visited a trout fish hatchery and then they continued on a trail called the Big South Trail. And I watched a video where David Politis hiked this trail and I'll post to this video in the show notes so you can watch it too. It really gives you a feel for just how remote this is and the type of terrain that not only they would have hiked upon, but then where the remains were found. So I really suggest you watch it if you're interested in this because it's hard to convey this verbally without seeing it. But 
So there's something weird about the, the trail marker. So right on the trailhead, it gives you tips on child safety and what to do if your child disappears, which that's the part that I thought was weird, not just child safety. I mean, I get that, but it just like, it's weird that they're putting what to do if your child disappears. It gives you some tips about making sure that they're wearing bright colors with a hood, giving them a whistle, packing a snack. Like, I just thought that was weird. That is really odd. And it makes me like instantly think of, I'll have to ask my husband where they were, but they were in some like national park. Mm -hmm. And, um, so my husband's one of six kids Mm -hmm. and so a lot of kids, they were on a family vacation and his, um, mom stayed back in the car with like one of the babies or some of the babies. And, um, his dad went hiking with um, Shane and his brother. And then an, I think maybe another, I'm not sure, three, yeah. four of them. And he had the littlest kid like walking mm-hmm. and a park ranger ran up to him and yelled at him to pick him up and to keep wow. him with him. Oh, and wow. he said something like, oh, there, there could be bears in the area or something yeah. like that. But now having you say that, like, yeah. huh, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. So, Two fishermen reported that they saw Jared walking alone on the trail. Now, at this point, the trail is very rugged. It's total wilderness. And I guess Jared walks up to them and asks if he'd seen any bear along the trail. And they responded that they had not. And then he just went along. And the men didn't stop him, which, like, yeah, what? why I know why? I, I don't know and they must have cleared these men or whatever he would th- those were those men were the last people that saw him alive so they must have been cleared in some way I I would imagine that they were investigated this was a huge this was a huge investigation so we're gonna assume that the due diligence was done yeah and that those men were cleared as part of the investigation but why didn't they stop him and That interaction to me is just so weird. Like, I guess, okay, let's give those men the benefit of the doubt. Maybe Mm -hmm. they weren't parents. Um, Maybe they just, you know, didn't know or whatever. And we're like, I don't know what to do with a little kid. So let's take their reaction out of it. Let's just take, okay, why didn't you stop a three-year-old? I don't know. But let's even think about a three-year-old. So the three-year-old wanders up to them and is like, hey, you see any bear along this trail? And then just strolls along his way. (laughs) That to me is just bizarre in itself. That is. So you're in the middle of the woods and this kid who's three. So that means barely talking. I mean, you're barely talking at that age. And you're somehow strolling along. And the only question that pops out of your mouth is, you see any bear along this trail and then you continue on. Oh, that makes me like, I don't know. It makes me like nervous. You know it's what I weird. mean? Like it's just, it's, yeah. It's weird. And I don't know, maybe as mothers of mm-hmm. kids who were once that age, maybe we're the only people that are like, that is weird behavior for a three-year-old. Yeah. And if you're not a parent out there, just take our word for it. That's weird behavior for a three-year-old. <laughs> I mean, I, I would imagine the men were, had to have been like, kind of like laugh it off or think this is weird. And maybe he's going to go off. Maybe his parents are still on the trail ahead of him. Like, I I don't don't know. I don't know. Like, but I just find that really strange. I mean, really strange. Mm -hmm. So anyway, again, that just speaks for the high strangeness that surrounds, you know, some of these events. So 
Anyway, that was the last sighting, sadly, of Jared. Aww. So at 9,125 feet in the middle of a boulder field, they found one tooth and the top of a skull four years later. Sad. And I cannot stress enough just how rugged this terrain was. There's no trail at this point. David Politis explains that he was climbing like on his hands and feet. Like they had to kind of go on all fours to get up. They're, they're literally climbing. They're not just walking or hiking. They're climbing at many points up this very high grade to get up there. Obviously, Jared, the three-year-old, did not climb it. Along with Jared, they find his pants inside out. So like they'd been taken off either by Jared himself or by somebody else. His sweater was found in near perfect condition. They found both his shoes, like white, white shoes. You could wear them tomorrow condition. And like none of this looks like it's been through four winters in the elements. And like I know what it looks like when my son leaves something in the yard over the winter, mm -hmm. like one winter. It does not look like any of these materials that they found. Oh, no. Same here. We have, we used to have neighbors who would throw their socks oh, yeah. over the fence. Yeah. And those looked disgusting. Yes. Yeah. None of this stuff looks like that. And especially the shoes. Like, I just, I don't get it. And then the other thing is the clothes. So if there was a struggle, I think the predominant theory here with Jared is that some sort of animal took him like large prey like a mm -hmm. mountain lion or a bear now in order to get up this high grade even if you are an animal that is much more adept at climbing up it would be hard to bring a three-year-old human up a hill like this in your mouth the shoes were not tied how did they stay on his feet yeah how, why, how would they not fall out and how would the clothes not be more like tattered or ripped or anything like that like mm -hmm. I, it just to me that that doesn't that doesn't make sense so there is something else that was kind of weird here so there were a few more other things that were found at the top of the mountain that were just really weird so keep in mind trail doesn't go up here this isn't a spot where people would be hanging out there would be maybe dedicated hikers that would have had gone off the trail, off the grid, that would have been trying to get up to this spot. I don't know. It's not like it's a destination. So David Politis gets up to the spot and he sets his backpack down and he notices a Rubik's cube right at the spot where his backpack is. And it's colors that it just happened to be Jared's favorite colors. It's like silver and black or something, mm -hmm. which was weird. Just a weird coincidence. Later, Ben Politis, David's son and producer, spotted some Spider-Man sunglasses, like child sunglasses, at the scene where all the stuff was found. Mm -hmm. When flipping through photos with Jared's dad for the, the documentary that they later produced, they noticed Jared wearing a pair of Spider-Man sunglasses. And his dad was like, oh, yeah, he loved Spider-Man. He had these sunglasses. He wore them all the time. And these sunglasses, so the sunglasses that were found at the scene were not Jared's sunglasses. That's not what we're saying. But mm -hmm. what are the chances that a pair of child sunglasses were found at the scene where his remains were? And he owned a pair of child sunglasses just like that. That's so, this it's is just so, so weird. Yeah. And that's just an example of some of this high strangeness. Weird coincidences, 
that just surrounds it. I mean, it's one thing if this was a campsite, but this, I mean, this is not a campsite. This is not mm -hmm. a place where people were going. It's not like there would be human trash there. This is a remote, hard to get to place. And there just happens to be weird kid stuff there. Weird. It's weird. Okay, so because I mentioned his name, I also just want to mention um, Ben Politis, David's son, sadly passed away, which is really sad. Um, he was very young. Um, it did seem that he had his whole life ahead of him. He sadly passed away due to suicide in 2021. So I did just want to mention that, um, which is really sad. So, okay, so now this, now obviously this phenomenon is centered around national parks, but there are clusters around the United States and there seem to be like hot spots in these clusters. One of the biggest clusters is in the Yosemite National Park area in Eastern California, but there are hot spots that run along California. There's a cluster around kind of like the Joshua Tree area in the Nevada, California desert, a cluster in Northwestern United States. There's a loose cluster over Wisconsin covering Northeastern Minnesota, the UP, and hitting all of Wisconsin. There's a very tight cluster over like Appalachia. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then there's a like the whole northeastern US basically. And then right around Devil's Den, which brings me to another point. There's a whole book that David Politis wrote called Missing 411: The Devils in the Details that basically lays out the cluster over these areas with devil in the name. And it's not saying that it's like cursed because we call it that, but it's more saying that there seems to be like an ancient association from going to like indigenous people with strange activity. So perhaps that's how they got this name. So yeah. we're associating this area as being strange, like devil's den. And that's why we're calling it that, you know, like, mm -hmm don't go here. It's weird. You yeah. know, I know that's the Connecticut one. Like there yeah. was, you know, all those stories and then mm -hmm. people report that they see the devil playing a fiddle. And yes, yeah. exactly. So, you know, maybe that's why they have these names. So he has a whole book that basically has that connection. And before I get too like far off of this, I also wanted to point out that biggest cluster that's in Yosemite, that's where the Sierra sounds were recorded from the last podcast oh. that we did. Yes. They're basically, David's books, they're basically all focused on geographical locations for the most part. They just lay out cases in a very no-nonsense way. As I mentioned before, he's a former police officer, so he lays them out very similar to how like a police report would be laid out. Um, my dad's a former police officer, and the guy even looks like my dad looked when he, like in the <laughs> 80s. Like I look at him and I'm like, dad <laughs> like he just like he looks like um and i feel like it's a very similar approach to how like my dad would have done this so speaking of which you read part of one of the books right aaron yeah and you have some cases for us right i sure do so in april 1952 a young child went missing keith parkins was actually just two years old he was playing outside with his older brothers in the middle of winter in ritter oregon it was cold. Snow was on the ground. He had his little winter jacket on. Aww. I know. <laughs> but the family said that he wasn't bundled up enough to be out there for a long period of time. 
It was time for lunch and his brothers headed back home and ditched or forgot about Keith in the barn. His, Poor Keith. I know. <laughs> his mother noticed he didn't come back with them and they all went back out and he had vanished. This was right around noon. As soon as his family reported him missing, everyone jumped into action. A search party was formed. They eventually did find his tiny footprints and followed those for a while until they couldn't track them anymore. Oh, my god! I know. This is really sad. Um, something important to state is that while his footprints stopped, there weren't any other footprints by his. And this was in the snow. So no animals, no human footprints, okay. nothing. His just stopped. The search continued overnight. People were starting to lose hope when at 7 a.m., so 19 hours later, a searcher found Keith face down in the snow, stiff with his hat and coat next to him. His clothing was ripped and he had scratches on his face, but he was alive. Oh, wow. This is all amazing. However, what's even crazier is that Keith was found over 12 miles away. Oh, my gosh. He would have had to travel through barbed wire fencing, <sighs> over mountains, survived overnight. Keith went on to make a full recovery. There's no way. I know. We still don't know how he got to that location. Mm -hmm. And I watched this video by um, Les Stroud where he went over walking the trail that Keith would have gone on. You know, I think I saw this. I think this might have been in one of the documentaries. Yeah, it's wild. So Les was out there on a full moon night that even he couldn't see a thing. And now Les is a survival expert and said that even he could not have traveled once it hit nightfall. Mm -hmm. And he was in the proper gear. He knew what he was doing. Yeah. Um, so that's crazy. Yeah. There's no way. There's just, there's no way. Find another, find another solution. He didn't walk it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So there are a couple of thoughts that I have on this. Mm -hmm. My first major one was why, why were people also looking that far away? Yeah. That was kind of some of my thoughts with these two is why did they look so far away in some of the cases, like even like that little girl, Caitlin or whatever her name mm -hmm. was that I mentioned in the very first story, they were just looking there, but it, who would have ever thought that she would have been there? You know I what know. I mean? Like, I, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I would have never thought like, let's look 12 miles away for a two-year-old boy yeah. toddling around. Hmm. Um, I mean, thankfully I was not on the search team because I would have been like, no, no, he's got to yeah, be closer. Exactly. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Um, secondly, I am first of all, so thankful and really stunned that this story ended with him being alive. No kidding. I almost wanted to stop at the beginning and be like, okay, not covering it. <laughs> yep. yeah. And I know that he's two, but don't worry. He's fine. He's fine. An absolutely bizarre story. I bet his brothers were in so much trouble. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I can't even imagine. My dad was born a little bit after that close though. He's about, he was born about three years later, mm -hmm. but he had two older brothers. And I, that just kind of made me think of him. Like <laughs> they would have totally left him somewhere too. Oh, <laughs> this next story is about Sam Adams. Like the beer. I know. <laughs> saw that I was like oh my goodness was he like a colonist or something too I know that's like a historical name I think so I feel I like mean, I should know this a very solid name I really like the name back on October 27th of 1958 Sam had been out hunting with two of his friends Ed Hodges and Calvin Trusty they had gotten separated um, which lesson learned from everything we've talked mm -hmm. about like stay with your crew like yeah, don't stay go, together yeah even if you're hunting hiking like in the woods 
Like, make sure you know where everyone mm-hmm. is. His friends could not reconnect with Sam, and they reported him missing. The area that they were in was very mountainous, not good hiking conditions. Um, Sam was reported to have warm clothing on. He had matches, food, a knife, a rifle, and a pistol. Okay. So he was he was well good to armed. Go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One heartwarming thing that happened was that multiple other hunters and hunting parties actually stopped their hunts. Um, Some of them were on vacations and they all helped search for Sam, which I felt Mm -hmm. that's so kind of people to, to do that. Yeah. Um, So everybody was out searching for him. The national guard, the sheriff's department, even the Montana fish and game department was working with everybody Mm -hmm. for 17 days. They looked for him in an extremely intense search. Uh, They assumed that he may have set up camp somewhere. So they were looking for any signs of that, but they found zero evidence of Sam. Wow. His friends kept searching for him, taking all the time off that they could to return to the Chamberlain mountains to try and find Sam like every weekend, Mm -hmm. any, any time that they could. Um, So he had really dedicated friends Mm -hmm. for, I would do that for you. I was just going to say that (laughs) I would go searching for you. Um, unfortunately they did eventually find Sam on July 12th, 1959, around nine months after he went missing. Mm -hmm. Ed and Calvin found Sam's rifle smashed in three pieces. They also found his wallet, shoes, belt, socks, um, some teeth mark shoes and torn bits of clothing on the ground. It looked as though, as if a bear had mauled him. They found half digested clothing as well, um, with bones and even hair, Um, they stated that signs of the battle between Sam and the assumed bear was all in a 50 foot circle. Okay. Police investigated and said that Sam must have gotten into a fight with the bear and wounded, but not killed it. And I know this is going to get a little Mm -hmm. crazy. They also said they believe that after round one, that he tried to light a fire to get warm that he had crawled off in an area to do this, removed his shoelaces to tie around his leg like a tourniquet. They stated that he only had two bullets left after fighting the bear and that he shot them up into the sky to try to have somebody notice him oh and send help. They believe that the bear then reappeared and he tried to smack it with his gun. And that's how it was broken into three pieces. Oh my gosh. The police then said after this that the bear overtook Sam and took his whole body or even pieces of it into the den, which is all very sad. Yeah. Um, but that whole story sounds extremely presumptuous of yeah. the police. And I know that forensics can be mind-blowing mm-hmm. with the things that they can find out. But how they got this whole story, I really do question it. Um, I, along with David Politis, who wrote about this story, want to know how they believe... They know when and where Sam shot his weapon. That's what I was wondering. I know why I'm reading this. Like, how do they know that this was like rounds? Like, ding, 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 round one. You know, how do they know that? I know. It it doesn't make sense. And why did they assume that he hit the bear with his rifle enough to split it into three pieces? Yeah. Immediately when you said that, I was like, enough to split? Like, how do you... How does that happen? I know. That's like cartoon style exactly. strength. Like when you see the cartoon character mm-hmm. like bend a rifle mm-hmm. or break it. Like that. That's crazy. Yeah. It's also very strange that he said he was said to be carrying a pistol, yet the police didn't mention that in their report. Yeah. And also, why wouldn't he have saved his final two rounds in case the bear came back and not to shoot into the air? 
Yeah. And, and then how did they how did they know that? Like how did they assume that it got shot up into the air? I know. And it never said like that they found mm-hmm. I, they found it in certain places. Like mm-hmm. I'm I'm really confused by yeah. that. And what about the knife? In the book Missing 411, Danny says he assumes that a lot of the pressure was mm-hmm. being put on law enforcement for an explanation. Yeah. They must have wanted people to feel safer. I think people were just really like pressuring them to give me an answer to what happened to this person to me that story almost seems like let's construct such a detailed story that nobody will question it because we've clearly done our due diligence right because it's so detailed you know yeah that's almost what it seems like to me because they basically stopped after the 17 days of searching Mm -hmm. like the rest of it was done by sam's friends yeah so it's just all it's all very odd it is their explanation Mm -hmm. so this is the story that i chose to highlight however this is just one of many stories where the missing person was found after presumably being killed by a bear Mm -hmm. um and clothing and or personal items were found unharmed around them just like you had mentioned earlier so if you read the stories of Bart Schuyler, Charles McCuller, and Robert Springfield, they all have the same outcome. All three people were mauled and eaten to death, but they had random items like a belt, pants, and a vest that were unharmed Hmm. close to them. So also with this story, don't even get me started on using his shoelaces as a tourniquet. How would they have known that? Just going back to the police. Yeah. Like I... I don't know. How would they have known that he was injured and had enough time for a break in between the fights? Yeah. It's just. That is weird. Yeah. Yeah. So the, also the items that were left there, it's so odd that both of his socks, belt, knife, and wallet were just sitting there, but the rest of his body was destroyed. Let's talk about the items that were found left there. It's so odd that both of his socks, both socks, his belt, knife, and wallet were just sitting there, but the rest of his body was destroyed. Something like this would have had to been removed prior to this bear attack. So something also to note would be that Sam was found only one and a half miles from the main search point. Hmm. And I feel like this is strange for two reasons. One, the story of Keith Parkins was found 12 miles away and they found him the next day. They couldn't have found Sam only one and a half miles away. That's a good point. Like that is, I feel like I use this word a lot. That's bizarre. There's no other explanation. That's a really good point. And I mean, his friends were out looking for him every weekend for months. Yeah, that's a really good point. He was so close and it seems like there'd be a lot of, I mean, there was a lot of stuff, right? Like there was his gun that was broken. He was kind of like mauled. So I feel like there would have been a lot of him around like it probably would have been kind of graphic easy to find you know what i mean so like to your point so they found keith was a small child the way away Mm -hmm. you know but yet this person was very close and a very bloody scene with a lot of stuff and we weren't able to find him until like a long time later he had all those search parties out for him yeah it's just it doesn't make sense it doesn't make sense at all so what do we think's happening here I feel like there are some obvious, like, more normal, (laughs) logical Mm -hmm. things that we can think about. Number one, people just getting lost. Like, I feel like that's where most people's minds are going to go right away. Mm -hmm. 
I have, I mean, sure, that can right. be some of it, you know, obviously you could eliminate some of these cases with people getting lost, but I, I don't think that explains when you have children somehow ending up gajillion miles away, mm-hmm. being somehow carried over vast distances. Number two, uh, serial killer. I think that's a logical one, you know, that uh, sure, serial killer, but in like Keith, yeah, not dead. Catherine, not dead. If it was a serial killer, I feel like it would have to be like a crime syndicate, like yeah. multiple people. Yeah. And we're spanning. I mean, these cases, they go, you know, decades. So mm-hmm. I think um, Jared what was that? Like 2012, I want to say. Like it just, I mean, I'm just going off the top of my head here. They they span several decades. I mean, decades. So I don't think that that answers all of them. But mm-hmm. of course, sure. Some of them, maybe. Serial killer, maybe, you know. Yeah. I know in Jared's case, there were three boys that went missing in like one area. You did have some kids stuff up there. I don't know what became of the other boys in that area. So, I mean, maybe, maybe animal prey. Now, I do think that that is a plausible, a plausible idea Um, in, you know, the story that you said, okay, yes, maybe a bear. I do think that there's some problems with that idea, Mm -hmm. like with the, the, the weapon being broken in a million pieces. Like I just three, (laughs) maybe I'm exaggerating a little. I think that's hard for me to understand how that could have happened. Same. Also, the timing, like, so where was he when they were searching and then all of a sudden he was found? I don't understand that. Um, I do think, you know, prey could have been the answer in, you know, Jared's case possibly. But as I mentioned before, how did he get all the way up on the top of that mountain without more damage to his clothing and with the shoes still being on his feet? Like, I just don't get that. Yeah. Um, I was definitely thinking prey in Keith's case. Did something take him even, you know, I was even thinking like a bird, like a big. It is so weird that you say that. Yeah. Because I was like, I wonder if there's a pterodactyl <laughs> hanging out in the woods. Maybe, you know, like, is it possible that like some large bird of prey, I know that they take dogs they can take dogs up to 15 pounds which i had to well in our area our area up to 15 pounds because i looked that up because i have a small dog yeah and i wanted to see if i needed to keep her on a leash how Always. how big is a two-year-old i mean probably more than probably more than 15 pounds. oh yeah i mean <laughs> i'm trying so uh, my eight-year-old is 60 pounds my kid was always double yeah like in height at least yeah what her what she was like supposed to be so I feel like I wouldn't have a good mine was pretty spot on I have my my youngest not my oldest but my youngest was pretty much like 50 percentile for everything and I can't where I'm going with this is I can't remember but I mean I think it would be plausible maybe I'm totally wrong please let us know in the show notes or in the comments if we're totally off here, but I would think that it would be plausible, maybe, that a large bird of prey mm-hmm. could possibly take a small two-year-old. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Okay. So I, I think that the thing here is that maybe you, you could eliminate some of these cases mm-hmm. with some of these theories. 
but it definitely doesn't eliminate all of them. And when you put in the the high strangeness with some of these, that's where I kind of, I just struggle a bit. So let's get into some of the weirder ideas that they put forth. So interdimensional rift that people have fallen into. Now, I think, I think that that is possible. I've heard that one being an interesting one. There is this one story of um, a guy. Okay, so interdimensional rift, I think is kind of a cool idea. Definitely for some of these weirder stories. I know that there's one story of this guy, and I'm kind of going rogue here because I don't really have the notes in front of me, but I remember hearing the story of this guy. He was skiing with some friends, and he like went up the ski hill for like one more run, and his friends didn't see him again. So they go searching for him. They search the whole ski hill, and they're like, at the, I mean, there's only so many places he could have gone. Mm-hmm. You know, where could he have gone? So they call his wife or his girlfriend or whatever. And they're like, I don't know what to tell you, but like, we lost, we lost your husband and he's, you know, we don't know where he is. Eventually they found him still clad in ski gear. I don't know how long he was gone, but he had no ID. He had a single credit card. He had like a new phone or something like that, a new mm-hmm. iPhone. Oh. He w- wasn't sure how he got there. Somehow he eventually remembered his wife's phone and he was found in Sacramento, but he went skiing in like New York or something like oh, that. Oh my gosh. So he was skiing in New York and he showed back up in ski gear in Sacramento. It seems sometimes like these people just like blink out of existence. So I think the interdimensional rift, as crazy as this sounds, I can't believe I'm saying these words, but it holds water. Like, I think it's interesting for some of these cases. I agree. When I was reading some of these stories, Mm -hmm. it's almost like they've fell into a hole and just appeared in another random place. Like yeah. I, it, it's the only thing that makes sense. Exactly. That, that sounds crazy that that's the only thing that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But to me, that's the only thing that makes sense. Exactly. So another theory that people have come up with is our dude Bigfoot from last week. Oh my gosh, Bigfoot. Yes. If you lay clusters of the missing 411 phenomenon over the Bigfoot clusters that some of the Bigfoot researchers have put together, you'll see a lot of overlap. Now, that could just be because they're wilderness areas. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's possible wilderness, they overlap. That makes sense. But there's some of these like bigger clusters that do seem to overlap, like Yosemite, for example. Also, David Politis himself thinks that there might be some overlap here. And in the early days of Missing 411, he was very careful not to put forth any theories. Mm -hmm. But now he is kind of putting out there some of his own ideas. And Mr. Politis actually just released a documentary on the Bigfoot Missing 411 connection. And I didn't really cover any of those stories because we did just do a whole episode on Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I didn't really want to go into that, but I'll, I'll link to the documentary in the show notes. So you guys can watch it, but there is some connection there. And that story that you had about that one guy that got mauled, mm-hmm. that to me kind of had like Bigfoot vibes. Oh, geez. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking Bigfoot with that one, especially weird Bigfoot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This last theory, aliens. Do we think aliens have some type of connection here? Now, before you think I'm nuts and before you form your official opinion, let me share a few stories with you. 
Okay, so this first story is that of a researcher out of Antarctica. His name was Carl Dish, and I think he was a physicist. I might be getting that wrong, but I think he was a physicist. Um, which my aunt was a geologist who did a research stint in Antarctica, by the way. Oh. Did you know that? I didn't know that. I can't believe I never told you that. Yeah, that is she fascinating. My aunt Jerry, who's also a world traveler, literally, she has been everywhere. Like she helped post tsunami in Sri Lanka. So Carl, he was looking for his puppy friend, which makes me sad. Oh. There was a dog on one of the research bases that disappeared, which also is kind of weird in itself, but the dog disappeared. Mm -hmm. And he decided that he was going to go from one of the research bases to the other and just look for it, see if it showed up. And the bases were connected by a handrail so that it was like either like a rope or a handrail so that if you came upon a freak storm, which was common out there, you could find yourself from one base to the other. So you would just hold onto the rope and it would help you get from one base to the other. That's nice. So the other base knew that he was coming, but he never arrived. So a huge blizzard came, which impeded their search, of course, which always seems to happen. And the search parties, they basically walked one rope to, from one to the other mm -hmm. and they met in the middle and they never found, they never found Carl. And they did find footprints that ventured off into the nothingness. But what is interesting to note is that they never shortened their stride. They just kind of disappeared. And this means that he never slowed down. So he just like confidently walked at one consistent speed off into the blizzard, which is very unlikely and very hard to do. Now, he's an older man, not like a seasoned outdoorsman. Mm -hmm. He was like an older scientist. So he was never found. But prior to this, there was reportedly strange lights in the sky and machine noises that the scientists were unable to trace the source of. Now, this is Antarctica, remember. It's uninhabited, despite the closely working group of scientists. So where were these lights coming from? And where were these machine noises coming from? I mean, they were the only people out there. Yeah. And were they connected in some way? It seems like they'd have to be. Also, I didn't put this in my notes, so going rogue here again. <laughs> but I guess continent is shrinking, you know, because we're mm -hmm. losing some ice mass. And this particular area that he disappeared from is an area that we've actually lost mass from. So they're saying that it's likely he would have popped up. Right. You know, and he never has. So had he just like fallen, you know, and fell into the snow and been buried or something, they would imagine that someone would have come upon him during mm -hmm. this time because he would have been uncovered. So it's just strange. It's not like this is an area where experiencing seasons, you would have experienced slow melting and he would have popped up. Hmm. He wouldn't have like decayed or something. Yeah. So all that was just very strange. So there are also many accounts of people seemingly just being dropped into locations. So they'll be missing shoes, which is common in missing 411 disappearances. But despite being in super remote locations, their feet will be clean, not cut up. For example, one gentleman was found floating in the middle of a pond and he had pristine white socks. I mean, they were wet, obviously, mm -hmm. but despite being in an area that was super muddy, they were still white. They weren't full of mud. So how did he get into the pond then? Yeah. I mean, I, I cannot understand 
how he would have gotten into the pond. This is expanding on my theories, but I'll leave them. I'll leave them to the end. <laughs> I just don't understand. Like, how do you get into the pond with white socks? Right. And I mean, I guess we can say, okay, maybe they got washed off, but I still, you still would have mud on your socks. Yeah, they would have to be like scrubbed. With yes, exactly. Soap and... There would be like, especially think soft mud. It's right. not like you just you dove. I, I mean, I they still would. There would be traces of mud. Exactly. Another one was a man who was found on the side of a busy highway who died of a fall. So no one saw him fall from anything. There wasn't anything to fall from. The medical examiner even ruled it an accidental fall from like a high surface. But what did he fall from? Huh. It's still a mystery. No one saw him fall either. Like all of a sudden he was there. The police were called. They don't know where he came from. There was like seven hours of missing time from this man's timeline. And all of a sudden he was just like found dead with like several broken bones consistent with a fall from a great height. Mm -hmm. But there was no great height to fall from. It was like he fell from a plane, but he wasn't on a plane. At least not that anyone knows of. So where was he for seven hours and how did he fall from something that there was nothing to fall from there, you know? Yeah. For this last story, this one, I just, I can't figure this out. So Sean Rents, and I'm hoping that I'm pronouncing his last name right. He was from White Bear Lake, Minnesota. So actually not too far from where I am from. He went missing in July, 2012. He seemed to be living a totally normal life. He had just bought a house with some friends. He had a close relationship with his family, his friends. Suddenly, he decided to quit his job that prior he seemed to be happy with, but he just decided to quit. One night, this was before he had moved into his house that he had just purchased. Hmm. His parents found him like burning all of his electronics in a fire pit. And they were like, what are you doing? And he said that he couldn't sleep because of the fireworks the night before. And this didn't make any sense to anyone because there were no fireworks. So anyway, he goes missing. And after nobody really knowing where he was, they eventually get a call from someone in Arizona who had found his car at a scenic overlook oh. in Arizona. So this is Minnesota. His car is found in Arizona. Mm -hmm. So a manhunt is staged, but it's hindered by a freak storm. And this is how it's described, a freak storm. Again, freak storm, of course. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. So they call in the canines. Again, canines are useless, as is typical in these cases. Eventually, after quite some time, they find his backpack, and it is wedged between some rocks in the side of a cliff. So quite a distance later, thought it was like, I don't know, more than a mile or something as the crow flies. What does that mean, as the crow flies? I mean, as Oh, it's like um, airborne, but not necessarily as you'd walk. Oh. Yeah. For example, in that case with Caitlin that we started off the story with, she, you could fly to that area. It would be mm -hmm. seven miles, but to hike to that area, it'd be 25 because you'd have to like zigzag. I am so glad that I finally asked that because <laughs> I've heard you said it a few times. I've heard other people say oh, it and yeah. I was just like, sure, maybe a crow flies 
different yeah. way. I don't know, but yeah. For example, I made a wrong turn getting to Aaron's house today <laughs> that landed me in some hot water. And as the crow would fly, could have been to your house very quickly. But unfortunately, because there was an entire freaking lake in the way, <laughs> it added or an entire hour to my drive today. I like that before you had told me that you went the wrong way, your last message was, I'm not going to use my GPS to... <laughs> I ended up driving like I would to go to the hospital where my son was for the last two weeks and I didn't need to go there and that was a bad choice. <laughs> so anyway, they found his backpack wedged in some rocks. Several days later, a ways later, they found his brace yourself mummified body that didn't have a head. The oh. head was found detached. Um, it was in a place called Pump House Wash. It was a super desolate area. And it, this was way after the search was called off. It was just some like hikers or something that found him. And it was like a canyon type area, but not like a steep side or anything, okay. which is important. And it caught up in some boulders. The clothes and shoes were removed. From my understanding, they were never found. And you can't like hike into this location where he was found, but they weren't sure how he got into this. location. And from my understanding, it was very difficult to get him out. So he couldn't have jumped into the location where his body was caught up in body was hung up in something. They didn't think that it was washed into that place from floodwaters. They don't think that an animal brought him to that place. So no one is sure how his body got into that spot in the canyon, which it was just like wedged there. It wasn't anywhere near his car, near his backpack. He was also, he was a 210 pound person. His corpse was about 38 pounds, which even mummified, I guess that was far less than what one would expect. I guess I don't, I don't really know what you would expect. I would right. know you would expect it to be less, but I guess that was less. He had a broken neck broken lower back and a broken left leg. Now he died of multiple wounds that would be consistent of blunt force trauma. And the medical examiner said that it appeared that he fell from a great height, but it's not like he could have fallen off a cliff. There wasn't a cliff for him to fall off of. It's like a boulder field that he was on, mm -hmm. not like the bottom of a cliff. So no one's really sure where he came from. So why does it seem like there's people falling out of great distances after randomly disappearing? So I'm not sure, but to me, this alien theory kind of holds some water. Like, are these people somehow being maybe lured and then abducted and then tossed out, you yeah. know, and then they're being found. And that's why, I mean, somehow their clothing or their, you know, various states of dress mm -hmm. is just kind of a byproduct and this is just where they're falling you know where they're being located and then maybe they're being scavenged when you see someone like that jared for example maybe he was scavenged unfortunately mm -hmm. so you're kind of having like a multifactorial situation where he dropped into that location but then there was some scavenger activity afterwards you know and that's why we only found part of him mm -hmm. so i don't know i i just I find this kind of interesting. There was also, again, I'm going rogue here. And I actually, I tried for the life of me to find a source for this story that I'm about to tell here. 
it's not really a story, but I remember hearing stories of missing 411 style occurrences where people were being found without any type of lividity. And I hope I'm using the right term here, but from my understanding, that is when your blood pools after you die. And they use that to kind of understand the position that you died in. So like if you would have lividity in like your like butt, you know, or the right. backs of your legs, that would tell them that you were laying on your back mm -hmm. for at least a period of time where the blood pooled there. So even if you were moved afterwards, they could tell that you were that way for a period of time. But they were finding people that didn't have any type of like fixed lividity, which was almost making it seem like they were like suspended in something. Oh, So again, I don't have a source for this, but I promise you I heard it. <laughs> I'm not just making it up. <laughs> I did hear it. So I, I don't know. I just find this like interesting. So what do you think, Erin? What are your thoughts? Okay. I feel like for most of the things that we've discussed thus far in past episodes, I'm more of a skeptic, but in yeah. this one, I am not, I am not a skeptic. <laughs> I really think that it is either an interdimensional rift and who knows how long they're in this rift or yeah. how long time passes. I feel like I'm going out there, man. Is it going to be like days when to them it's only a minute? Yeah. Or I kind of can see the alien theory. And for more of that, if, if I were an alien <laughs> and, <laughs> and I were like, okay, I want to like study these people, creatures, like things on earth. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't go into a city and get people. I would go out yeah. into these little places totally. and maybe they're, oh gosh, I'm going too far out there, but maybe they're like, There's okay, no such thing. Okay. Alien bill, go drop them off. And then they drop them off in the wrong place that they found them. Yeah. Or they drop them off in a place that's more dangerous mm -hmm. or any of these, but I think it's, it's something more than people getting taken by animals. There's something out there. I agree. This world is far more mysterious and complex than we have the capacity to understand. And we are we are fooling ourselves if we think that we're ever going to completely understand everything. And if we think that we truly understand the natural world and that if it's just what we can see. Right. There's so much more out there than we know. And I think that I feel like I've been on the crazy train for a long time. Mm -hmm. So like, there's nothing that you can say that's going to make me go, oh, whoa, Aaron, <laughs> that is out there. I truly think that there is definitely something going on. Now, all of the stories. Yeah. I think that there's definitely a lot of stories that can probably be explained with normal things. Mm -hmm. But I think that there's a lot of stories that can't be. I always go back to, I think that the veil is thin in areas. I think I say that almost every single episode and whether it's aliens, whether it's Bigfoot, whether all of that is describing the same thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whether it's all part of the same thing and it's all connected, you know, I think people sometimes fall into that riff, you know, and they disappear. So I don't know. 
But you tell us what you think, because I'm super curious. This is one of my favorite topics, and I'm very curious to hear what you think. So we used a lot of awesome sources. I'm going to link to them in the show notes. But I highly suggest you check out some of David Pilatus's documentaries. There's a bunch of them out there. Most of them are available on Prime, Amazon Prime. Um, some of them you have to rent, but it's usually pretty cheap. I will link to a bunch of them in the notes. But also check out some of his books. I will put some of those in the show notes, too. Some of them can be a little pricey, but... But, you know, you can usually pick them up at a used bookstore or something like that. There are so many stories and we have barely even scratched the surface of them. I'll also try to link to some spots where you can check out some of the videos of some of the stories um, where he'll take you on like a walking tour of basically what happened, like where the person disappeared from, where they were found. So you can see the terrain, you can see what happened and kind of see for yourself see for yourself how the story transpired. So anyway, thank you for going on this journey with us. If you like what you hear, please subscribe. Please check us out on social media at Mysteriously Eclectic Podcast on Instagram at Mysteriously Eclectic Pod on TikTok. Tell your friends, follow us, rate us as long as you're going to say something nice. And please comment, share your stories. We love to hear listener stories and share your thoughts. We love to interact with our listeners. We will. Mm-hmm.